We are looking at the scriptures in John 17, and one of the most remarkable uh, bits of literature that humanity has in its possession. It is a prayer, the longest prayer in the Bible, and it is actually a private, intimate conversation between God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I say private, and you might ask, well, then why are we uh, invading this privacy? Because at one point in there, Jesus says, I say these words. He prayed it out loud so that his apostles could hear him pray it, and they would then record it for our edification. And later on, he says, I pray not only for my apostles, but for those who will believe through them. And so now, down through almost 2,000 years, across multiple continents, here we sit, those who believe through them. Because we believe the same thing the apostles believed. We have what's called the Apostles' Creed, and we affirm every word of it. So our connection to them is not directly, but indirectly through the succeeding generation who preserved and propagated and preached this word. And they preserved it so well, we have an actual copy of this conversation between God the Father and God the Son. This is not uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is not the upper room where Jesus implemented the Lord's Supper when he did the uh, Passover. At the end of John 14, the last verse there, he's, he said, Arise, let us go from here. So they were on the move. Somewhere between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, they stopped. And then Jesus prayed this prayer in the presence of his apostles. Then when he got to the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, uh, Wait here, I'm going to go over there and pray, but stay awake and pray for me. And that's when he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but if not, your will be done. And he came back and his apostles were falling asleep. But they heard enough to record even that. The first section, how many verses is that? The first five verses it's about Jesus and his father. Most Bibles even delineate it that way. And then the rest of the prayer from verse 6 on is about Jesus and his followers. Father and followers. He begins the first section of the prayer and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. He ends that section by saying, and now, Father, glorify me. It's a pericope, it, 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 it's like a parenthesis, it opens and closes with the same request, please return to me my glory that I laid aside when I came to the earth and became human. And he says, the reason I want it back, he says, I have completed the work that you have brought me to do, you have gave me to do. Now, he hadn't been crucified yet, but in God's economy, when God plans it and God purposes it, it is going to be performed. 
So now he turns from praying to his father, and we have spent several weeks going verse by verse through that, to this verse 6. This one is a challenge. The reason is because it is a summary, a summation of the whole rest of the prayer, the whole rest of the chapter, verses 6 through 26. Everything that he's going to pray in the rest of this chapter is summed up in this statement. It is a sweeping statement that, as we saw in other statements, goes from eternity past to time present to eternity future. And it brings us into the presence and the counsel of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who before there was anything, and when I say before there was anything, I mean there was nothing. And when I say nothing, I don't mean unformed things just floating around. I mean what? Nothing. Nothing. Now, if you with your human mind can imagine that, you are superhuman. Because <laughs> we can't imagine nothing. And we just, our mind wants to populate something because all we've ever known is something. And if we were in the presence of nothing, that would be more than total sensory deprivation. That would be mind-blowing. But there was the Father, and there was the Son, and there was the Holy Spirit for all eternity. And what were they doing? <clears throat> they were sharing their glory, their holiness, their omnipotence, their omniscience, uh, their beauty, uh, their grace. It was uh, quite a trio. They were complete, wanting and needing no one and no thing. They were totally complete in all grace and truth. But then they felt the need to find a way to demonstrate the justice and the mercy of God. And so they spent, I figured it was about 2.3 billion years, but not being there, I have no idea, examining a billion different plans that would accomplish most effectively the goal of glorifying the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and demonstrating their judgment and their mercy and their love. And they came up with this plan. By this plan, I mean the plan that you and I are in. And you say, well, I could have come up with a better plan than this. <laughs> I mean, death, destruction, disease. But this is not the end of the story, you see. It began in eternity past. It will cons uh, consummate in eternity future. So they came up with the best of all plans. And that was that God would create. Man would be given freedom. Man would disobey God and rebel. And as a result, suffer death. And so here we sit. The same way that we received the word of God from the apostles, we have received from our ancestors, Adam and Eve, a sinful nature, conceived in sin, is what this colony said, from the get-go. But then God said to the son, if you will lay down your life and pay for their sin, then I will give you a group of people for yours for all eternity 
from all ages, both genders, all tongues, all colors. I'll gather them through the centuries. And they will be the only creatures that have experienced being drawn out of darkness and death. And so they will speak from experience when they praise you. And they will love you and spend eternity getting to know you better. And he says, I will do that. And even more than that, I will make them my brethren. Not my subjects only, but my actually brothers and sisters. And so this is what Jesus is going to start talking about. And in one verse, he's going to sum up that whole plan. Look at it, if you will, in verse 6, and you have it there in the outline in your bulletin on page 9. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now, that's the summation of all of the Christian story. And it has four parts, possession, donation, revelation, and confirmation. So it's going to be a little bit more work when you do uh, an introductory lecture when you're in college. Here are the requirements. Here are the exams. I was talking with Phil. He was talking about a course that he was taking on worship. And uh, it said the paper will be, what was it, Phil? Half-inch margin, six-point font, And we figured out that was like, you know, three pages of 250 words. But you put it all, this font, this margin, on this piece of paper, eight and a half by 11. So you go to that first class and you learn all this stuff, but that sets the groundwork for the rest of the class. So let's dig into this. Uh, First of all, possession. They were yours. What in the world (laughs) is he talking about? When did that occur? When, they were, when were they? Who was they? Uh, how did they get to be the fathers? We saw when we, John, in verse 5 when Jesus said the, the story of the surrendered glory that that was his experience, but another part of Scripture explained it. That's called the perspicacity of Scripture. One part explains another. And you can't just look at one part. In fact, you've got to look at all of it. And then you put it together, and that's where theology comes from, and that's called systematic theology. That's how we finally understood the concept of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, was taking all the data from the Old and New Testament and coalescing it and synthesizing it and figuring out that they were three distinct persons and one God. We would never have imagined that, and we still have a hard time understanding it and explaining it. And then we actually invented a non-biblical word to describe it. What was that word? Trinity. That's not in the Bible. It's a triunity. So we came up with a word to describe it. So I guess the the, Trinity is unbiblical. But see, that's how theology works. We take all that God has revealed and we put it together. And that is the amazing thing that God allows human beings that discovery. And we spend not only a lifetime, we're going to spend eternity figuring it out. And every day we'll get up and say, let me tell you what I figured out. And we'll be going around talking to each other about this. 
and then we'll go talk to Paul a little bit, stand in line. We'll talk to Peter. What did you mean when you said this? So we're going to put this together. Just as Philippians 2 explained John 17, 5, so Ephesians 1 explains this first verse, they were yours. And here's this knowledge I'm about to share with you results in praise to God. So this is why it's shared. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For, because, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Okay, let's get this down now. What is the us in that sentence? You always got to check that out. Who is us? We'll go back up to the top. It says, uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ. Saints, not because they're necessarily holy, because they're holy in Christ because of his righteousness, and they are faithful because a person who's born again is prone, has a proclivity toward faithfulness, whereas before he had a proclivity toward disobedience. So he's talking here about Christians, and he says he chose us in him before the creation of the world. So this is eternity past. Now, if this applies to you and me, I want to know who of you was back there at that time to be chosen. Was anybody there before the creation of the worlds to get chosen? Okay, now I'm getting confused. If there was nobody there, how did they get chosen? How do you, just, how do you explain that? Well, we've been saying that God doesn't exist in time. He exists outside time. And he is so powerful that when he decides something, it's done. So before we were ever born, we existed in his mind. And then he moved us into his heart. He chose a group of people. Okay. And chose, the term for that is elect. Like you elect someone. You get to elect one person. I like this in California. They had a primary system. It's called a jungle primary system. Did you read about this? You don't just, uh, uh, it's, it's whoever gets the top two votes. They get a runoff. It doesn't matter if it's two Democrats or two Republicans or two independents. It's not a party. It's a jungle. Just whoever gets the top percentage. And I was reading Maine is going to have a deal where you vote for all the uh, candidates and, uh, and, and, and you, you, you don't vote for one, you rank them according to your preference. Like I'll give this guy 10 points and this 9 and this guy 7 and this guy 2. Okay? And then they're going to add all these points up and that's how they get their candidates. Boy, we're going to be watching that. I want to see how that works. That's the first time they tried it. Okay? And, well, is that how God did it? He just said, I'm going to look down the tunnel of time, and I'm going to pick out the best-looking people for Jesus. <laughs> I looked in the mirror this morning when I got up. Oh. <laughs> ah, I'll choose the smartest. 
I'll choose the nicest. That may, that may work, but some of the meanest people I've ever known are in church. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. How did he do it? Well, let's see. Let's see. Let's see what it says. He says, um, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He did it. He chose who he wanted. He chose who he wanted. And it says in another, there's, well, it's over in Romans. Let me see if I got that. I was going to come to that later, but I can do it out of order. I didn't write that down. Oh, here we go. Romans 9. God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Therefore, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now, how does that result in praise for the Father? And it says, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, because all are guilty. And no one seeks God, no, not one. And so everyone says no to God. In fact, I will do everything I can to ignore you. And if that doesn't work, I'll do everything I can to destroy everything you've done. That's what a rebel does. But for some reason, he looked down and he said, I'm going to pick a group of people that I'm going to give to Jesus. And so it says right here, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love and, and in grace. So that's, you know, that's a brain pool. You ready to go home? That'll fill your mind, give you something to think about, won't it? Possession. They were yours. How did they get to be his? Now, I don't think I'm going to answer that question up here in 10 minutes by the clock. Okay, but I'm giving you one-fourth of this formula, of this summation of the rest of this prayer. They were yours. Who are they? How did they get to be God's? He chose them based on his good pleasure and his will. Well, who was he to decide these things? God. He created everything from nothing. He owns everything, and he will do as he pleases with everything. But doesn't he have to be just? Yes. Everyone who calls on the Lord, that's what the scripture says, everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. But there is a group that he gave the grace and the faith through blind mind and hardened heart and will in chains to see, as he said, let there be light in Genesis 1. So he said to this group of people, let there be light. And you've heard the term, all of a sudden they were woke. And they said, wait a minute, there's a God. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. 
which I'll explain the process in a, in a second. I grew up on a farm, okay? And way out, at the end of two bus routes from two different towns, we didn't live at the end of the world, but you could see it from where we live. <laughs> and one advantage to that was no light pollution. You ever been in one of those places? There are a lot of stars in that dark night sky. And sometimes they feel so close you can touch them. And God gave me the grace to say, boy, somebody made all that. And somebody was very intelligent. And someone had a sense of beauty. I think he made me too. But he's up there and I'm down here. How do I bridge that gap? And then someone told me about a Savior. And I said, ah, that solves the puzzle. And that's how I became one of the chosen. It wasn't because I was one of the prettiest. You know, it wasn't because I was one of the smartest. It wasn't because I was one of the nicest. It wasn't because I was white American. It's because I was a sinner and needed saving and God in his grace and his mercy and his will and his good pleasure decided that Jerry Curran was going to be one of those. When did he decide that? Before the worlds were created. Well, then what, what came after that? Donation. You gave them to me. You gave them to me. Now, what's that talking about? Well, go back there in Ephesians, and this is what it says down there at verse 11. In him you were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. It says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, having believed. Well, see, it's the two sides of a coin. You heard and you believed. And God always uses, just about always, normal means, ordinary means. Every one of you in here that has responded to the gospel, heard it because someone made a provision for you to hear it. You might have heard it by reading the Bible. I've known people that did it, but I've known people that became to God having read a Gideon Bible in a hotel. You know anybody like that? Watching Billy Graham on television, having a relative talk to him or a minister or an elder or a deacon, even one of you. God uses people to bring the word. And then there's belief. Let me put it to you this way. This happened in um, Edgeworth. Crops were grown and goods were manufactured. And they were delivered to a distribution point. And then those distribu from that distribution point, those, those, that food and those goods were delivered to a home where they fulfilled their created purpose. They were eaten and they were used. Okay, that describes the supply chain. Correct. That's how it works, right? I went down to Walmart, and I bought a head of lettuce, and I bought some mats for my, floor mats for my new apartment. 
Now, which of those is true? They're both describing the same thing. One describes a supply chain. The other describes what I did. I went down there, and I bought it, and I brought it home. I'm the one that made all that happen. Couldn't have happened without me. Or at least we think that. But then someone said, well, you know that that lettuce was grown in California. Or maybe Brazil, for all I know these days. And it was flown or boated or driven all the way here to Maryland. And they, somebody took it off a truck and they brought in this building they had built that has lights and air conditioning. And they put it out there and put a light on it and sprinkled some water on it so it looked good. <laughs> and we knew you were coming. And we put it out there with bright light and little dribbles of water and said, let us. And something in me said, let us. And I grabbed it, and I made it my own. And I took my hard-earned money, and I paid for it. And I took it home, and I chopped it up. And I put some salts on it, and I put some tomatoes with it. And I chomped it down. And then someone says, you're part of a supply chain. Oh, no. I made all that happen. No, you didn't. <laughs> Others paid it happen. Well, it wouldn't have happened unless I... See, you keep going around in circles. And so Paul gives all the, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. And then he says, having heard the word, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him. See, that's the two sides of it. And Jesus sums up, they were yours, you gave them to me. One is the absolute thing that happened in eternity that God put into motion. The other, you gave them to me, is the experience that we have when we hear and are enabled to understand and believe the gospel. One is absolute, one is experiential. I want to share this uh, verse with you. Oh, I already did. That's what I was going to So, you see how those two go together? Possession. They were yours. You gave them to me. Now, we have just spanned eternity past and time. Okay? Now, what happens next? If this is the summation of all that happened, he said, look, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Now, the word there is actually exegeto. It's called exegesis. You ever heard that word? Ek means out. And it's what your pastor is supposed to do when he preaches God's word. He's supposed to take God's word, like these two verses, and open it up and give you four points so it gets organized in your mind and explain each one. And that way you go, okay, okay, I see that verse in a new way. I see how it's got four parts to it, and I see that it describes all time and eternity, and it describes the plan of God for salvation and his people and my personal experience. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. That's actually referring to Psalm 22 when Jesus says, I will tell your name, God, to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. 
Jesus said here in John 17, verse 25, a righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and they, these disciples know that you have sent me. Even the world, though the world doesn't know you, I know you. So we can't know the Father. He's invisible. We're separated by our sin. We're, we're limited by our mortality and our humanness, our creatureliness. So Jesus, in the bosom of the Father, the second Son of, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, who knows the Father, he came down here and explained him to us. Now, they were yours, possession. You gave them to me, donation, and then I explained you to them. No one has ever seen God, John 1, 18. The only God who is at the Father's side, the only begotten Son, he has made him known. Now, how does Jesus make him known to us? Well, first of all, his personal life. You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you get this multi-orb view of who Jesus was. That's how we have why we have four authors. You get four different views. You get to see Jesus. Okay, I see it now. Let me go over here and look at it from the other side. You ever bought a car? Okay, let me see it from the front. What's it look like coming at me? Let me see what it looks like from the back. What's the taillight look like? What's this side look like? What's that side look like? Open it up. I want to get inside. Pop the trunk. I want to see it under the hood. I want to see it from different angles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us a picture of Jesus. He who has seen me has seen the Father. But he went beyond that. He explained the Father. That scripture that Bill read, Moses said, show me your glory. And he said, you can't, it'll kill you. Well, I want to see your glory. He was going for the whole hog, Moses was. And he set an example. We shouldn't fall short of saying we want to know God. That's what eternal life is, to knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. I want to know God. And so God said, okay, Moses, I'm going to cram you into this hole in the rock so you'll be protected by rock. And I'm going to walk by you, but you can only see my back. Because if you saw me, it would kill you because you're a creature and I'm the creator. It would be more than you can handle. Like walking into a nuclear reactor. You just couldn't handle it. And he said, well, tell me your name so I can go tell the Jews who sent me. He said, I am sent you. What kind of name is that? Well, I am. I am the self-existent, eternal God. I am. I always am. I always will be. I just am. And so Jesus came along, and what did he say ten times in the book of John? I wrote some down. I am the bread of life. What's God like? He gives eternal bread that if a person eats will never die. I am the light of the world. You mean the world is dark? Yes, look around. But I bring light from God for the mind and the heart and the will. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. 
and who, who believes in me and dies will live again. That's what God is. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus explained, exegeted God. And how does that come down to us? He's given us his word. Believe it or not, it's written. And every time we discover an old manuscript, thousands, ten, uh, thousands of years old, it, it gives us, assures us of the accuracy of this book. Super, supernaturally guided, and the hands of men preserved it. And then he gave us the church where we can gather and encourage each other. And then he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. And he's called and equipped special people who can come and explain God's word to you. And that's why I said shepherds and teachers, because that's what it literally means. And what we do is say pastors and teachers, because that's our current uh, usage of terminology. Pastor is not even a, a Greek word in the Bible. It's Latin. It means feeder, one who feeds. And see, that's part of my job and the elder's job and other teachers in the congregation. He uses ordinary means. When you heard the gospel of salvation, having believed, how do you hear someone teaches? And that's why it says when Jesus went in and read from Isaiah, it says, as was his habit, he went to synagogue every Sunday, and he heard God's word read. And it went into his mind and his heart, and it bore fruit because he grew in wisdom and stature. That's how Jesus reveals God to us, through his word, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the teaching and preaching of his word. And as we get together, that's why we like small groups, and we discuss it. There'll be a pastor's class downstairs if you're visiting uh, after we have a fellowship time, and we will discuss the sermon. Because there's more than one way of learning. Some are auditory. Some learn by discussing. That's one of the best ways. Now, wait a minute. What did you mean when you said this? And I'll say, well, Bill, what did you think? What did you hear? What did you hear me say? And then we work it out together. Jesus uses his people and his church to reveal God the Father to us. Now, possession, they were yours. Donation, you gave them to me, and that is the experiential moment when a person hears the gospel and believes they're given to Jesus. One is behind the scenes, eternal. One is in time and experiential. And then when that person is given to Jesus, he immediately goes to work to reveal the Father to them. Now, what is the result? What is the result of this whole process? Dona uh, possession, donation. He says it right there at the end. What does he say? They have obeyed your word. They have obeyed your word. There it is. John 14, 21 and 22. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And I will love him, and the Father will love him, and we will reveal ourselves to him. He who does not keep my commandments, my words, does not love me. Now, this is tough, but we've got to look it in the face. That whole process, chosen from eternity, given to the Son, 
born again through hearing the word preached and taught. The Holy Spirit and Jesus revealing the Father to us, that has an inevitable result. And that is a group of people that obey Jesus, obey his commandments. If that then is the test, if a person is not obeying the commandments of Christ, what do we then conclude? Well, let's not conclude anything. We can't see a person's heart, can we? Let's ask the question, was that person possessed, donated, and revealed? Has that person heard the gospel and believed it and received a new life in themselves so that now in the ticker, instead of saying, I don't want to have anything to do with God, says, I want to fellowship with his people, hear and study his word, attend divine worship, pray, give, serve. If those are the characteristics, that's the inevitable result, of possession, donation, and revelation, then we have to say if that person's life is not exhibiting those characteristics, we need to go back and question the food chain, the supply chain. Is that person really a disciple of Christ? Or do we need to go back and pick up where we left off? Let me share about your sin and about the Savior and pray that God will give you the grace and the faith to understand it with your mind, to believe it with your heart, and to grab onto it with your will and trust the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Well, I think I've done that. Well, the car has got oil and gas, but it won't crank. Something is wrong. Let's check, about, let's check out the electrical system. Let, let's, let's see if it, something's wrong. It's not working. Now, no one is saying that the commandments are kept perfectly. We started this worship off with what? Confession, didn't we? First John says, if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What the scripture does say in First John is that no one who follows Jesus sins continually. There will always be a sense of guilt, a consciousness of having fallen short of Christ's command, and that's called godly sorrow, and it leads to repentance, turning away from that sin, and then turning to God and asking for help to grow in following Christ. But we have to follow what the scripture says. And what does it say? They have obeyed your word. Now the reason this is hard is because it's like questioning someone's words. It's questioning their experience. It's like the person that came to me one time and said, I feel that God wants me and has told me I prayed about this, Pastor, to leave my spouse. What do you think? Well, when did I quit beating my wife? You know, it's a trap. You know, 
either I agree and I don't know anything about the situation, or I disagree and question that person's relationship with God. So this is why it's hard. And this is why if when people come to join the church, we do two things. We ask them some questions. Tell us about your relationship with Christ. Well, he's my Savior. He died for my sins. I take him as my Lord. Well, tell us about your life, you know. Well, I get drunk at her Saturday night. I get up Sunday morning and do some drugs, and I drag over here to church. How long have you been doing that? Oh, for 10 years. Let's think about this. Okay. Um, do you worship regularly? I get there once a quarter. Okay. I'm a, I'm a CEO Christian. Christmas and Easter only. Okay. Well, don't you have a hunger for God's people? Don't you want to desire to worship God? Don't you want to hear God's word preached? No. Well, let's think about this. Let's think about this. Have you ever served in the church? Nope. I show up. I put in my time. I hear a wonderful sermon from Jerry Curran, and then I go home. Okay. Have you ever invested? Have you ever given to the church? Do you tithe? Well, no, I don't do any of those things. Well, let's look under the hood. Because it says if you're possessed from all eternity, if you're given to Christ and born again, if he's being revealed to you, then you will obey. And if D doesn't work, let's go back and look at C. And if C doesn't work, let's go back and look at B. And if B doesn't work, we'll go back and look at A. We've got to trace this electrical fault down until we find where the wire is broken. Because the car is not moving. And we just aren't going to let it sit there and rot. We are shepherds, the officers of this church. We are shepherds responsible. And our job is to say, is your engine running? <laughs> I noticed that car has been sitting in your yard all year. It's got grass growing up around it. It's got bird droppings on it. Oh, that's my car. It's a wonderful car. I bought it new. You know, I get it out twice a year. <laughs> and we talk about it because it says, they have obeyed your word. And this is why it says in 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. A little self-examination. Peter said, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Confirm it how? By practicing the qualities that he just talked about. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So, there's the summary statement of the whole story of the church of Jesus Christ throughout time and eternity. They were yours. He chose us from eternity. You gave them to me. When having heard the word, you believed. And then I revealed you to them through my life, my teaching, and my Bible, and my church. I taught them. And as a result, they have obeyed my commands. Now, that's hard. It's like the syllabus of the whole course that's going to come as we break this down verse by verse in the coming days. So if you're thinking, there's some I don't understand, come on back. There's some things that are hard to accept. 
Come on back. We're going to break it down. Come downstairs. We'll talk about it. But here's the whole point. What does it say in Ephesians when it describes all this? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, to the praise of the riches of his grace and his wisdom and understanding. This might puzzle us because we're human creatures, but does it not cause us to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great wisdom, came up with this plan. He planned it, the Son provides it, and the Holy Spirit applies it. And it all happens right here in this church building and in your homes whenever the Word of God is open. And people says, what does my Lord say? Let me be quick to hear and quick to obey. Let's pray together. Father, the first thing Jesus says when he begins to pray for his followers, is that they were yours, you gave them to me, I have revealed you to them, and they have obeyed your word. Lord, give us the grace to grow and desire more and more each day to obey your word, and the mercy when we fail to have sorrow and repentance and continue to follow you. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.